You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Well, hello. Okay, I think everyone's here. It's good to see you. Welcome to City Church. Uh, I'll add my welcome to Pete and Hannah's. If you are a guest or a visitor with us, it's really great to have you here today. Um, I was just chatting to Jackson and Victoria about the flags. If you haven't been before, you're wondering why there's all these flags here. Over the last 12, 18 months, these 24 nations have been represented at York City Church, which is remarkable. Uh, God is doing a big thing with us as a church, adding nations and people from different nations to us. It's a beautiful thing. It's a little snapshot, if you like, of what the new heavens and earth will look like, a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered in worship and gladness around the throne of Jesus. So, uh, so welcome if you are not someone who would be originally from the UK. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, we are part of God's family, and that is a family that extends beyond borders and geopolitical realities. We are God's people in Christ Jesus, and it's wonderful to have you with us today. If you're not a Christian, it's great to have you with us here too. Uh, I hope that you have found it, well, interesting at the very least <laughs> this morning, and I'd love to talk to you at some point if you, if you want to find out more about how you can explore Christianity in a sort of non-threatening, hard-sell kind of way, um, then please come and chat to one of us. We'd love to help you to think that through. So this morning, uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my first wheels. This was, this one, actually this particular one wasn't, I had a car like that. It was basically exactly like that, a cream-colored 1970s Mini. Um, I got it from my friend Lucy for 50 quid. I know, crazy, 50 pounds. I don't really think she knew what she had. Um, it was a little bit wrecked though. So this was my, my really cool first car and uh, I thought that I was the bee's knees to my little cream-colored 70s Mini. And even more so when I bought a sticker for the rear windscreen that said, on a mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, late 90s, early noughties, youth culture, I was like, I'm down with that. But also a sort of, you know, a kind of Christian double entendre because I'm on a mission with Jesus. It was basically a way of identifying myself in a car as a Christian without putting a fish on the bumper, which nobody wants. I'm sorry if you have one. It gives the game away, especially if you're a terrible driver. Uh-huh. Anyway, that was my first car. It had a very grisly end, by the way, but I won't tell you about that. Um, so I got this sticker on a mission, back windscreen, and uh, my, uh, my next-door neighbor at the time was a, a gentleman called Frank, a Scottish guy in his 70s, who was, uh, he, he was a, a very highly regarded medic. He used to jet off around the world giving addresses to the World Health Organization and training consultants and GPs and all kinds of stuff. He was really kind of very high up. He's a lovely guy, but one, one day we sort of converged outside the house. I was getting in my mini and he was coming out and he, uh, he sort of looked at the rear windscreen and went, nice to see what you've done there, Al. <laughs> And he, did, he sort of said it with a twinkle in his eye. 
that made me realize that he was not going to fall on his face and say, what must I do to be saved? Uh, he, he'd seen right through it, and, and I immediately, my, the bubble was burst, and I immediately realized, oh, this is just not cool at all. My 70-year-old Scottish next-door neighbor has seen through it, um, but now it's on, and if you've ever tried to get off those kinds of stickers, it's just, no, they just, they just do not move at all. Anyway, despite my clumsy efforts at being a witness somehow, uh, the reality is that I, well, the reality was and is that I am actually a person who is on a mission because as a Christian, I'm somebody who's been called by the Lord Jesus. I and every other person who is a Christian is called to mission. Now, there's a few places in the Christian Bible that make that explicit. Uh, there's lots of places where it's implied, lots of places where it's sort of there below the surface, but there's a few places where it's very, very clear. And one of those places is at the end of John's Gospel, where the risen Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, whether you like it or not, um, some people do, some people really, really don't, we are a people who have been called to participate in this being sent. And being sent by Jesus, mission, if you like, is written into the, perhaps you could call it the spiritual DNA of every follower of Jesus. It's there in us. This is something that's part of our makeup. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Now, I think that in recent years, you may or may not have noticed this, but in recent years, there's been something of a renaissance in the church in the West in terms of mission and a sense of mission and what it means to be a church that engages in mission. And there's a whole load of different books and resources and sermons and speakers and celebrities and all the rest of it who talk about mission. But perhaps more important than just that explosion of awareness of mission is some of the details and the nuance of what has been said about mission. And one of the, one of the people who's written a lot about this is a guy called Chris Wright. And Chris Wright has put it like this. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, for God's mission. Look at that. Read it through again. Let it sink into you. It's not so much that the church has got a job to do as that God has called the church into being to participate in what God himself is doing. Mission isn't our thing, it's God's thing. And God has called his people to participate in his thing. The church was made for mission, not the other way around. Or, in Jesus' words again, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now, the subject of the mission of God is massive. It's a huge subject. And the books about mission are correspondingly large. That's not my desk, by the way. 
but there are big, fat, huge tomes that are written about mission. In fact, it makes you wonder, like, if you spent as much time actually participating in mission than writing books about mission, the world might actually be a much better place. But anyway, by the way, some of the books are really, really great. Christopher Wright's book, The Mission of God. If you want a good, long, slow burn, read through something. The Mission of God is really brilliant. It's possible, despite all the big books and everything, to get to the heart of what the mission of God consists of quite simply, in a sense. Although it's not simple in terms of all the outworkings of it, there's something at the heart of it that is quite simple to grasp. I want us to camp out for a little bit more in John's Gospel for the remainder of our time this morning. And I want to pick things up with a verse from the prologue. The prologue is the the introduction to John's gospel. Uh, If you know about John's gospel, it begins with God. In the beginning was God and was the word and the word was with God. This eternal word who was with God and everything was made through him. Everything came into being through the word. The word became flesh and lived among us or literally the word is tabernacled. God pitched his tent. In, our, in, the, in the world, uh, and this word has become known to us as the person of Jesus, the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And then John wraps up the prologue with this last verse, verse 18, and this is where we're going to focus. No one has ever seen God, John writes. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So listen, there are loads and loads of interesting, important, and valid ways of thinking and talking and discussing and writing about what mission is, about what the mission of God is. But what seems to be at stake at the end of the prologue of John's gospel, at least, and I think it's not just the the prologue in John gets amplified all the way through the rest of John's gospel, What seems to be at stake in the son's mission is making the father known. Now for many Christians, many churches, mission is about doing stuff, it's about serving, it's about activities, it's about all kinds of different things which are great, but the heart of it, I think, if we are sent as the father sent Jesus, and if Jesus at the heart of Jesus' mission is to make the father known, then it has to be that our being sent into the world, participating in God's mission, must have at its heart making the father known, or rather, perhaps better, making Jesus known who makes the father known. Whatever we do, whatever activities we partake in, under the banner of mission, it's vital that we understand mission first of all as sharing in the task of making God known. Now I wanna be clear about something because I can imagine what some of you are maybe thinking, oh, this is going to be about evangelism. Wrong. There is more to mission than evangelism There's more to making God known than evangelism. (laughs) Evangelism forms a vital part, or is a part of the bigger picture of the mission of God. 
But the mission of God can't be reduced down to evangelism. In fact, the mission of God can't be reduced down to any one single thing because it's big and broad. However, mission in any form has to do with making God known. So, what that means for us is careful and prayerful and, if possible, communal discerning. How do we as individuals or as a community make God known? How do we participate in this missional heart of making the Son known who makes the Father known? How do we draw people into that through whatever we're doing? Or how does what we're doing share in that task? Now, it's much easier, isn't it, just to get on with stuff. Uh, And if you've got a bit of an activist streak in you, maybe you think, well, I don't want to spend all this time thinking about, I just want to do things. Well, that's great. But Jesus never just did things, as we will see. There's a call for us to reflect prayerfully, carefully, to discern what is it that you're giving me, what is it that you're giving us to do as a participation in your mission. It's important to do this well because when we're doing the things that Jesus has sent us to do, we receive his authority to do them and they bear fruit. I am not interested as a Christian or as a pastor, I'm not interested in the slightest little bit in doing things just because. Life is far too short My time in the flesh is far too short to waste time doing stuff as a Christian just because. Your time is too short. What really matters is that we discern what is it that Jesus is sending us into the world specifically to do. And having discerned that, then to do it and to believe him that it bears fruit. There's no end of things that we could do, but it might not bear fruit in the end in terms of making God known. I can tell you categorically that the Lord has not called me and sent me into the world to make him known by being a missional chef. Rob Ainsworth maybe, (laughs) but not I. There are things that I've been given to do, authorized by Jesus to do, that are part of making him known. Those are the things that I want to give myself to. And we need to discern what those things are so that we don't run around like headless chickens being all anxious and flappy, trying to find the thing. What might it be? The reason, again, that it's important to discern what it is that we're being given to do is this. When we're doing the things that Jesus has sent us to do, they will authentically draw attention to him and not to us. If you want to know what has God given me to do, well, it's not something that draws attention to you. It's something that draws attention to the person of Jesus. It's not your thing that you have and that you do that marks you out. This is my thing. In fact, if you go around, this is my thing, don't ask me to stop. Well, that's maybe an indicator that you were never really authorized to start. Or perhaps you were, but you drifted away from something and it's become my thing and I've got to cling on to it. 
when we are doing the things we've been given by Jesus to do and authorized by him to do, they bear fruit and there's a lightness to it. We don't have to grasp and hold and seize because we know we've been sent. It's okay, I, I, can, I can hold this lightly. And it will bear fruit because he has authorized me to do these things. So authentic Christian mission draws attention to Jesus, not to us. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus gets challenged about the authority he has to do and say the things that he does and says. The religious leaders want Jesus to authenticate himself. They ask for signs, they question the authority that he has to say the things that he does about God, to perform the signs that he performs. And Jesus just says things like this, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Jesus is alert to what the father is doing He's not doing his own thing. He's doing what the Father has given him to do. That is sufficient authentication for Jesus. Or the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus isn't simply going, well, I think it might be this today. He knows out of the Father's love, he knows this is the thing I've seen it from my father. Or perhaps we could read this, the works that the father has given me to complete, the very works that I am doing, testify on my behalf that the father has sent me. The things that marked Jesus out as having an authentic authority was that he wasn't drawing attention just to himself, but to the father. Now, If you know John's Gospel, this is a slightly complicated thing because Jesus does seem to draw attention to himself, doesn't he? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the door. There's all these, I am the living water. And so it's like, well, hang on a minute, Jesus. You were saying that it's the Father, but it's not you. Well, there's perhaps an answer to this. If you think it sounds a little bit complex, let's go back to the prologue in John and think about the words that we read. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son, and this is what the literal translation of this verse says, who is in the bosom of the Father, who has made him known. And that's what the King James Version, that old schooly Bible translation used to have, and some of the older translations as well. It's actually correct. It's literally what the Greek says, literally. Some translations go with something like, who is in the closest possible relation to the Father. Mm. Or who is close to the Father's heart. In the bosom of the Father. I mean, bosom is a bit of an old school word, isn't it? Nobody really uses the word bosom anymore. But this is literally what it says. It's important because it has significant theological and revelatory meaning. Think of this, for all eternity, the Son has been in the bosom of the Father. Jesus didn't begin to be in the bosom of the Father at a particular point in time. Eternally, the Son was in the bosom of the Father. 
And as he takes on flesh and comes into the world, he's still in the bosom of the Father. Now, in glory, he is in the bosom of the Father. Do you notice that it's in the present tense? It doesn't say that Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. Like, oh, well, Jesus was in the bosom of the Father in his pre-existent, eternal being as the Son. And then he stepped away from that and took on flesh and became known as Jesus. And he came away from the bosom. No. Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. The Son was in the bosom of the Father. Jesus is in the bosom of the Father and will be in the bosom of the Father. It's where he always is. It's related to his being more than it is just his position, if you like. So it means that when we're reading the Gospels, we are reading the words of someone whose actions and words and everything are rooted in the reality that he is in the bosom of the Father. The authority to do and to say the things that he does and says are rooted and anchored and moored in the reality that he is in the bosom of the Father. It all flows out of that most intimate relation with the Father. Everything. He is in the bosom of the Father so that Jesus can say to Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus has come to make the Father known. It doesn't just terminate with him as Jesus the man. When you see him, and some people saw him and didn't get it, right? What does John 1 say again? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. People rejected Jesus. Oh, he's blaspheming. But to all who did believe, he gave the right to be called children of God. Wow. He makes known the Father from his place of being in the bosom of the Father. Now I want to fast forward to John chapter 13. And we find Jesus and the disciples eating the Last Supper together. It's a very, very rich chapter. But there's one verse that describes John, who wrote John's Gospel, sort of. It says, One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Lovely, isn't it? They're sitting around the table, and it's not like one of our dining tables. It wasn't like an oblong thing with people sitting on hard-back chairs. They're probably lying down, like reclining on the floor. And so what we've got is this picture that John is like reclining, like turning, leaning into Jesus like this. Now, you might not be surprised to learn that the exact phrase is the bosom of Jesus. This is beautiful. And unfortunately, a lot of English translations obscure the beauty by fudging the language again. Jesus is eternally in the bosom of the Father. John, at the table, reclines in the bosom of Jesus. So think this through with me, okay? Where does Jesus continually reside? In the bosom of the Father. Where is John? So where else can we say that John is if John is in the bosom of Jesus? in the bosom of the Father. If you want to know intimacy with the Father, you lean in the bosom of the Son. You come to the Son. Just a few verses later in John 14, Jesus will say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
John's already shown us in John 13 how you come to the Father through Jesus. You lean on his heart. You lean on his bosom. You get close to him. That's how you come to the Father. If you're a Christian, you are now eternally in the bosom of the Father because you have leaned on the bosom of Jesus. It's where you are right now. You're in the bosom of the Father, in the closest possible relation with the Father because you are in Christ Jesus. You get to lean in and be near him. And from that place of great intimacy and love and warmth and communion, he sends you to make him known. Isn't that wonderful? It means that Christians are not people who just speak coldly and academically about a subject. They witness with warmth and love and joy to the deepest reality of their lives. I'm in the bosom of Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father, and you can be there too. You can know the warmth and joy and acceptance of the Father's embrace by coming to him. We don't draw attention to ourselves. We point people to Jesus, and we allow him to bring them to the Father. Every single authentic missional endeavor that we start or out of obedience kind of get involved with will flow from a place of deep intimacy with Jesus. This year, brothers and sisters, there's going to be multiple opportunities to perhaps do stuff. But I want to urge us as a church to not do things at the expense of or instead of leaning into the heart of God by leaning into the heart of Jesus. Something happens tragically when we do things that have sort of slipped away from intimacy with Jesus. It becomes clunky, graceless. It becomes somehow about me. It becomes about self. It becomes something that ceases to bear fruit in the same way. And Jesus wants to invite us and beckon us deeper into his heart again, that as he sends us, we might be truly fruitful in making him known. How can you make known who you don't know? How can you speak about a person in, you know, I, I sometimes think back to, I think it was David Brainerd, the missionary to, uh, to First Nations people in, in, in America, and he would witness to, to them, and they would be in tears because they, he spoke in such a compelling way about the beauty of Jesus that they realized, well, we, we don't know this person. That's gutting, <laughs> and they cried. And all our missional endeavors, or some of them at least, have this kind of thing of, let's try and persuade people to make a decision. Oh. So much more power and authority comes from being in a place of having your heart utterly melted because you're in the bosom of Jesus. And out of a place of love and joy at him, we make the Father, we make Jesus known who makes the Father known. Please don't do things that aren't out of a place of loving communion with the Lord this year. Lean into that, and out of that, do the things that he gives you to do 
with authority and authenticity. Now, you might be wondering, well, what on earth is that going to look like? Easy for you to say, Rose, you get to stand up there on a Sunday and waltz around and preach. That seems obvious. You, that, there's your thing. Woo-hoo. What do I do? Well, good question. Uh, maybe you could ask somebody else. If you're not sure, how do, I, how do I discern this? Well, there's people around you, small group, community, friends, elders, deacons, somebody... Ask the question, is there something that you see in me that when I do that, there's a sense of God? What is there that I've got that when I do it, people sort of seem to to really be encouraged or built up, you know? Is it when I, you know, when I'm kind of on welcome? You know, when I stand at the front door and I welcome people, people, ah, I feel really welcomed. Well, there's something of God there. That's amazing, so, so do it. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you're a kind of closet, I don't know, closet mouth organ player, and you think, if I could just, you know, play my mouth, when I play my mouth organ in worship, I really meet with God. That's great, keep it to yourself. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, perhaps you are a worshiper, and you think, oh, I meet with God. There's things that I do, I, I know, I'm, I, I find joy, I meet with God, maybe can I... How do I do this? Well, talk to somebody. Let's help one another. Because it's not like it's this secret thing. Let's try and keep it all under wraps. Let's find the ways in which Jesus is authorizing us and sending us to make him known. It doesn't all happen on the fringes of the church. You know, missional life is not things that happen out around there. Some popular conversation about mission is all about the fringes. Uh, it's all about, you know, if you're not out on the fringes doing radical stuff or you don't ever talk about Jesus but you just do stuff, then that, that's missional and you're, and you're not cool unless you're doing that. Well, actually, the mission, in a sense, is the church because the people of God are sent into the world to bear witness to the reality of Christ and the coming kingdom. It can happen in the heart of the church, making Jesus known, being part of what God's doing here. It can happen on the fringes too. But what counts the most is that it happens because we've been sent by Jesus to do that. And we need help and love and prayer and patience to discern what that might be somehow. It's different for everybody. It doesn't have to look the same. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? It's not all just one thing. The body is many parts this people whom God has called to make known his wonders. So, as the Father has sent Jesus, so he sends you. You get to lean in his bosom this year. Make the most of that. Prize it. Treasure it. From that place, let's see what he will do as we seek to make him known. Let's pray. Lord, we're so amazed at you. We're so in awe at this one who, with the Father and the Spirit, had eternal joy and communion. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were eternally in the Father's bosom. Thank you that as we come to you this morning and lean on you, we are brought into the Father's bosom as well. We get to be in the same closeness of communion with the Father as you enjoy, and that is scandalously wonderful. It's beyond our wildest dreams and hopes. Holy Spirit, help us to trust 
the announcement of God's word, that that is what we may in fact do, and that is where we actually indeed are. Holy Spirit, I pray this coming week, month, year, that you would send us again and again and again from your heart, authorized by you, authenticated by the things that are done to make you known. Lord, we want people to come to know you, the one who has come to us, the one who has come into the world to seek and save what is lost, the one who makes all things new. We ask for that grace to be upon us in fresh ways, with great power and with great joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, there is a week of prayer this week, as I'm sure you know, uh, teed up almost perfectly after a sermon about leaning into Jesus' bosom. Uh, you get the opportunity to come and lean on Jesus' bosom together with everybody else Tuesday through Sunday this coming week. Uh, there are emails and WhatsApps. I'm not going to attempt to do all the details because you all know what happens when I try and do that. So uh, please check the emails and the WhatsApps for the details. But Tuesday through Sunday, the new edition is a Saturday date. So that isn't a typo. There is a prayer meeting Saturday as well. Um, be great for us to get ourselves into that this year as a means of sharing in the heart of God and sharing in what he's doing. So let's give ourselves to it. God bless. Have a fantastic afternoon and rest of the week. I'll see you at some point during the week. Amen.